Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the sequel to my scary movie. I hope that your script is better than most sequels. Mr. Robert Lundgren, how you doing? Some of the sequels are better for horror movies. Oh, you and I both know that, sadly, that is that is more the deviation than the expectation. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I would say that... You're not wrong. Sometimes they are. Absolutely. Fr- Friday the 13th didn't really come into its own until the third one. The 3D one. Oh, man. <laughs> Because of the 3D. That's the, that's what this should be. It should be Forgot My Dice in 3D. That would be quite the phenomenal achievement in a stereo podcast. But uh, Excuse me, Jonathan. Hold on one second. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sweeping right now, and I need to put this broom away as I sling it over my shoulder towards the audience and, you know, the stick around in your face. You get it because it, it was 3D? I was making a joke just waiting for the car accident to get cleared from the road so that we can all continue i got my flu shot today and, and I, I, I can <laughs> so, tell you right now so that's what we're blaming it on. yeah well yeah i, I can I, i'm telling you right now i can kind of feel it right now i'm like oh, oh okay flu shot okay yeah <laughs> well as always let's kick this episode off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at patreon you guys are helping us keep the lights on the servers humming and more of this fabulously questionable content coming straight to your device uh, to the device of your choice. Questionable content. I deny you totally. We we have excellent content. Hey, I think it's a. I, I'm quite happy with it. But I also we had a are, fantastic are review. Our um, our shtick isn't for everybody. I get that. I'm not going to force myself on somebody. Fantastic, man. We had a fantastic interview. I'm I am super proud of that. Yeah, I really liked it. I liked it. That was super super fun. I hope we can have him on the show again someday. Other Brendan. He doesn't just get to be Brendan. He'll always be other Brendan because we already have a Brendan in our lives. That's true. That's true. I will also accept Brendan squared and Brendan D. D. I don't really know how to segue to this one, Jonathan. And, and I, I am loath to say happy in front of it because I, 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 yeah. It's but, not happy, but well, no, that's not true. You know why it's going to be happy? It's going to be happy because A, getting attention to it means that we're that much closer to a cure and we're, we're putting things forward that, that help to fight it. And B, every step closer to a cure and every step closer to a better fight means that more people survive. So absolutely, I am totally happy with that. Awareness equals solution. All right, well, in that case, happy National Metastic Breast Cancer Day. Just support those with a diagnosis and remember to schedule some preventative care. And if you want to bring awareness to breast cancer, today is also National No Bra Day for the exact same reason. So ladies, you know what to do. Show your support or lack thereof for National Metastic Breast Cancer Day. That is, of course, brought to us by our friends over at the National Metastic Breast Cancer. uh, Hold on, I lost it. I, I, I scrolled too far. The Metastic Breast Cancer Network, which is educating, empowering, and advocating uh, around this disease, which, I might add, has uh, affected no less than a half dozen women in my life. I've seen them get mastectomies. I've seen them survive and then flourish afterwards. It is a disease that is beatable if you catch it early enough, which is a big part of what awareness is, uh, because this is something that can be caught and can be beaten. So, yeah, to all you ladies out there fighting this, 
keep up the good fight. We're in your corner. And to all you gentlemen supporting one of those fine, fine, absolutely wonderful women, keep fighting that good fight and keep smiling for them because uh, it can be done. It can be beaten. I've seen it done. And Jonathan? Yeah. Do you know what month it is? Well, my friend, looking down at the calendar, I see a 10, which means it's woo-October. So welcome, Jonathan, to our second annual FMD Spoopy Halloween Spectacular. I love it. I love it. This is my favorite, 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 favorite holiday of the year. I look forward to it every year. I love seeing all the decorations go up, and I love walking around with all the, the kids on in costumes. Like That just pleases me to no end. I have no idea what's going to go on for Halloween this year because of the Rona. Like, absolutely none. We're figuring things out. Uh, I've seen people suggest getting those little claw extensions to hand the candy out that way. I saw one guy created a chute uh, that he could uh, slide candy down from his porch down to the waiting children. I think both of those are, are enviable solutions, and I think it can be done. It's an outdoor activity, which we all know is, is better. Yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to do because um, uh, my buddy's sister is getting married that day, and we got invited, but it's over Zoom. And it's supposed to be a costume wedding. So uh, we're, we're, we're talking about going as the Adams family. Because like we, got, we got the girl a Wednesday Adams costume actually last year when Spirit was half off of everything. And it's like, well, then that means I'm Gomez and the wife's Morticia. And the boys have to be Pugsley and Pubert. And whichever one will tolerate the mustache is the one that gets to be Pubert. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> Halloween also means that we are officially in the countdown to the Jonathan Edwards uh, 43rd birthday spectacular, uh, which will mm. be the day after Halloween. So keep that in mind as well. That's right. Yeah. You share a birthday with my daughter. Good times. Good uh, no, times. my friend, I came first. Uh, this is one of the wonderful things about having the older age. Uh, I get to claim it first. Uh, I didn't say that you weren't first. I just said you share it. Oh, no, no, no. That implies that I'm sharing it with her. No, she's sharing it with me. Good, sir. But via the transitive property, if she is sharing it with you, doesn't that mean you are also sharing it with her? I need a slap button. Okay. <laughs> I mean, tell you what, should I go call her in here and you can explain to her how November 1st isn't really her birthday? Do you want to do, do that? Should we make that happen? Don't, don't, don't drag an innocent child into this. Okay. I'm just saying, if you want to maintain this level. How dare you, level, sir? How dare you? If you want to maintain this, I mean, we, I, I think you You're should You're a monstrosity of a human, Robert. I'm a monstrosity of a human being. You're trying to tell a little girl it's not really her birthday. Speaking of our uh, our guest last uh, last episode, super proud of that interview, by the way. That was great. I, I had a good time. Brendan got back to us and he said, quote, I just double checked and I couldn't find any board games in the National Library of Congress catalog. They do have game boards for old board games from the 1800s in their collection, but I couldn't find any actual games, just books about games. Yeah, so would, there you go. I would want to play those. I would like to see how gameplay has evolved. And last but not least, Jonathan, what episode is this? This is 96, baby. We are on the final four. Yeah, yeah. So as promised back in episode 90, I'm going to make a thread on our Facebook page, and I'm going to make a thread in our Discord, and I guess you could just tweet at us. I don't know. Um, but yes, if you want to have us answer anything for the episode 100 AMA, now is the time. Get the wheels turning because, you know, there aren't many episodes left because no, after this one, I there's actually only it. three. The, the, <laughs> the scariest part is we're getting to a point now where we have to ask each other, hey, have we talked about this? Hey, have we talked about that? And sometimes when we go back into the archives, it's literally been years since we spoke about a topic. 
Yes. Which is yes. crazy to me because this still feels like a new thing. Just habit? I don't know. I got nothing. It doesn't feel like we've been doing this for that long, though. Not 100 episodes. That's insanity. Also, may I just go on a limb and say, I'm proud of you, sir, and I'm proud of me, and I'm proud of us. 100 is not a small feat. That is a large investment of time. That is a, that's, that's a body of work. I'm really proud of that. You know, it's weird to think about that. Our first episodes, my, my boys were around, but they weren't, they weren't out of my wife yet. Like they didn't like, I mean, they existed, but they didn't exist. No, they were previews. They were previews. The main attraction hadn't come yet. Yeah. They were like in, in, in like, they're like in Schrodinger's box or whatever. Yeah, dude. Uh, how about this? Episode one was pre me getting married. Yep. Pre your boys, pre Amelia, pre you moving to Oregon. Mm hmm. So much has happened. Here's to uh, here's to another hundred, my friend. I'm really having a good time with this. It hasn't happened yet, man. I'm gonna knock on wood. Oh no, we're getting there, baby. We're getting. No, there. I'll toast. I'll toast you when it happens. I'll toast you when it happens. But I'm not. I'm not gonna tempt fate. We we saw a shining example of why you should not tempt fate. The uh, this past week, I. I, I <laughs> <laughs> just gonna leave it at that. We're just leaving that alone. We're just putting that down. We're walking away. We're walking away. We're backing up. Maintain <laughs> eye contact. It won't attack you. Just walk away. All right. Well, it's time for us to start up our first official segment of episode 96. That is, of course, our off the shelf segment, the segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off the shelves onto our tables and into our hearts. And this week, we both have quite a quite a bit of stuff as well as the listeners did, too. They've been busy. I kind of forgot to go look last episode. So this is more like two weeks worth of stuff. But we'll just sort of pretend that didn't happen. Let's talk about the 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 board games first because brendan wait is that our original brendan og brendan yes yes og brendan uh talked about at the sos titanic it's an interesting solo game on top of a klondike solitaire i am officially intrigued i want to know more (laughs) if if i was if i was in a dystopian future life pause for awkward effect i would press the button that said i would like to know more brendan Original Brendan. Would you like to be known as OG Brendan because you are the original gangster? Or would you like Library Brendan to be known as Library Brendan or something? Like what 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 designation would you prefer? You get to pick because you are, in fact, the OG. Right. He's first, so he gets to choose. That just occurred to me. Why, why do we have to decide what we call our Brendans? Uh, one of them can decide. That's fair. We can do this in the Thunderdome style. Yeah. Yeah. Two Brendans enter. Only one. No, no, leaves. I like both of our Brendans. I like both. I like the yeah, library things. That guy can't go anywhere. Brendan. Right, right, right. But That's what original Brendan can decide. Don't he, make if this he about be... life and death. Don't, you're, 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 you're the one that mentioned the Thunderdome. Yeah, but I two men enter only life and death situation. One of them's going to lose. You didn't name. mean That's it in the life and death situation when you quoted like a human gladiatorial arena from a dystopian Mad Max future movie. Who runs Barda Town? Tina Turner. No, no, the, uh, the answer is not. It's always Master Blaster, okay? Master Blaster <laughs> runs Barter Town. I, the last time I saw that movie, I was at a family friend's house uh, that had been brought there by my mom, and it was on KCOP Channel 13 May as the movie. I first to quote Fury Road when I say, disappointing. Uh, okay. Really? Yeah, it's fine. You need to rewatch all of the Mad Max movies. You have homework, sir. What are you even doing here? 
I I've watched the other the first two recently. I just didn't I didn't remember that one being good enough to do again. Thunderdome is awesome. You shut your mouth. Okay. Also, Tina Turner, if you're listening by chance, I love you. I've always loved you. And I will love you till the day I die. That's all. We we are so off topic here, but that one breaks my immersion because it shows the Bay of Sydney, Australia as empty. And I'm like, where'd the water go? I thought this was a gas thing. No, no, I'm no. Confused. It's a water shortage, too. From the ocean? Like, the ocean went down? Dude, like, duh. Where did it ozone, go? Product of the 80s, let it go. Where did the water go? Did it get blasted out to space? Do we not have a magnetic field anymore? Are we they, like Mars? They nuked it like a hurricane. That It doesn't work like that, Jonathan. <laughs> I know. All right, well. Let's move on to our first segment, our off-the-shelf segment. This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of the shelf and onto our tables and into our hearts. What board games have you been playing, sir? Uh, been playing a lot of Marvel United in uh, preparation of our upcoming deep dive of the game uh, coming in November for Turkey Day because we have some fun spookiness uh, for the month of Halloween all scheduled up. And then you and I were both playing a game of Rallyman GT, which actually just ended today. What did you think? I think I could have won if I hadn't have pitted like right at the end because I wasn't paying attention to where I was actually at, like an idiot. But yeah, other than that, it was it was a good time. I did thought. you did you enjoy it? I, I really liked the mechanics, and after my my initial spin out, I got into a rhythm with it, and I was really quite happy. Yeah, I I want to play a little bit simpler of a course. Like I, I feel like we got thrown into. Uh, the deep end on that one. Yeah, that uh, to, to be absolutely fair to everybody involved, that particular track was very, uh, very high level. And we were playing with a bunch of the optional rules from the expansion. My Ray and I were talking about it over on the discord. Yeah. So apparently when you fire up a game of that, uh, he just kind of set everything to random. Wow. <laughs> and, and we just, we just rolled real good on all the random tests. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, like once I got past that first spin out, I did really well, too. It was just I I had a really crap first roll and that was that. There you go. What else you've been playing? Oh, uh, Fall of Rome. Yeah. Yes, I played some more Fall of Rome, uh, taught it to another friend of mine. That continues to be just a go to when I need something light and easy to get somebody involved. Um, and the tabletop module works so well. So it's fantastic. Also, I had a chance to sit down and play some Starship Samurai here in the house. It was the first time playing with the expansion ships, and um, we had a great time. I really, really like the expansion ships a lot. I think that Starship Samurai and the expansion, if you can find a copy, are really awesome. I really enjoy that game. Uh, And then finally, also in preparation for a deep dive, I have been playing some Cthulhu Death May Die. Spoiler alert. Don't want to talk about it. We'll be talking about it more in just a couple weeks. And then beyond that, uh, yeah, that's it for me. How about you? Any board games? Yes, Rally Man. Rally Man. Yeah, that was it. I'm glad you had fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. It, it's it's interesting how it captures the the feel of driving a stick shift car, right? Including including just shoving, a, shoving it into neutral and coasting. I, I just... I'm fascinated by the feel of it. It's, it is technically a roll and move game, but it, it much like um, Formula D, uh, it does a very good job of capturing the sense of acceleration and deceleration in a car. 
which is neat. I wish it wasn't quite as much of a trial by fire like that last one, but uh, yeah. And here we go. My wife has joined the game. Oh, yeah. So, Brendan, you must choose. Oh, I have a different car. It has three coast dice? What insanity is this? Oh, really? We have different yeah. cars? How do I look at the car? Oh, go to game. Here we go. Yeah, I've only got four gears, Let's but I've got an extra coast oh, dice. Oh, dude, this is a simple track. This is one of the easier ones. Good. Um, the only thing you have to really kind of keep in mind is your entry and exit speeds from some of those corners. Are we only doing one lap again? I don't know. Track this short, we should do multiple laps, really. Ooh, I do have a different car as well. Uh, only four gears, but three coast dice. Yeah, nice. yeah, I think we all got that. Interesting. These are all expansion cars. I don't have these in the base game. Well, fun. Yeah, just kind of uh, monitor your corner speeds and remember some of the concepts, like... Don't tell me how to play the game. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't I'm know just, what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I played right. the last game. I got second. No, I got third. Second. You got... I got third. Not I still I still was on the podium, okay, on my first game. I you did were fine. on the podium. You were on the podium. Who was uh, behind us? Uh, my wife and uh, I'm not sure. Bre- I know I my wife got well, fourth. It would have been Brendan, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who got first and who got last. Uh, well, first was Ray. Then I took it second, and then you took third. Then it was Brendan the first. There you go. That sounds too much like a kid's show. I'm not accepting the first. You know what? It's up to Brendan what title he would like to take or not take. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, then let's move on down the list of movies and TV. And I don't see anything listed for the fans. So let's go to you first. What'd you watch? Oh, you've been watching The Witcher. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, Yeah, we talked. I don't know if I cut that out or not. I can't remember. But yeah, I started watching it uh, right like the day before we recorded. I watched the first episode, so I hadn't gotten very far in it. So I I didn't really want to talk about it yet. But now I've seen the whole season. There's some time issues in terms of how it presents timeline and and being clear. I got that spoiled for me. So I knew that was coming. And so I was keeping an eye out for it. And it was easier to watch sort of knowing that. Yeah, if they'd done a better job setting up timeline, that they, they would have done the viewers some some favors. I don't know. It seemed like a stylistic choice to me, though. I think I think they didn't want you to realize that until they revealed it, because they want you. To, they didn't want to hold your hand. They want you to pay attention. And it was interesting that the way they intercrossed the stories, even though they were not happening at the same time. You know? Yeah. No, I I, I ended up really liking it. They've already said season two is going to be much more much more linear. linear. The, the, yeah. yeah it's just cause they, they were kind of given everybody's origin story and, you know, an origin story for a little girl is happens at a different time than an origin story for Gerald and a different time for uh, Yennefer. So can I tell you one thing that I really truly appreciate about that show? Um, Henry Cavill. Don't know if you're listening, but if you are, and I'm just going to assume that you are, you sell a fight scene, you sell a fight scene in a big way. And I can tell you care about that, and that's important to me, and I appreciate that. Because in this, in the Mission Impossible movie he was in, uh, even in the Superman-Batman movies, like when he gets in a fight scene, I'm never seeing a punch pulled. It looks legit. And you could tell because he's he's acting through the scene with his entire body. And, and he knows this choreography, and it never looks forced. It always looks fluid and great. And you know what? Good for you, sir. I appreciate your, your effort. I can tell you're putting it in there. You know what I love? I love that him reloading his fists a la... Oh my gosh, that's the best thing in the world. I don't care what anybody says. I love that scene. I love that scene so much because it's it's making him a human cannon, and I'm okay with that. 
I, we were watching Lower Decks and there was a fist fight going on and one of the characters did that and we just died. We died laughing. It was the best. Like, <laughs> yes, we you knew really it was serious. Reload your arms. Absolutely. Do yeah, that. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was great. You know what I love about Henry Cavill? I mean, he is dreamy. I'm not going to deny that. He's a he's a handsome dude. Like I not that he's not dreamy. Envious. Not that he's not dreamy. What I like about that dude is he is such a just a nerd. <laughs> I know. He posted he posted a video complete with uh with with songs by um uh complete with Barry White music uh of of him building his new gaming rig. My friend was telling me he found some video where uh, Henry Cavill was going through his workout routine and it was very clear to him that the reason Henry Cavill was working out so hard was he just wants to play superheroes on film and he thinks it's the funnest thing in the world. And I'm like, you know what, man? Respect. <laughs> Dude, it's great. It's great. And man, he, he is he is racking up quite the headcount because we'll uh, take this and move into the next one. I watched Enola Holmes where he plays Sherlock Holmes. Oh, I, I really want to watch that now, especially since people were complaining about it on the Internet. That just makes me want to watch it more. <laughs> but yeah, so he's played Sherlock Holmes. He's played Superman. He's played uh, Spy, I guess, opposite Ethan Hunt. Um, there's talk that he's in line for Bond. Uh, I thought that was confirmed a couple of days ago, or was that still just heavily hinted at? I, I, last I read, it was heavily hinted at. He'd make a great Bond. Yeah, I'd watch it. Especially post, um, post-Craig. post I think he'd make a great post-Craig Bond. Because I can't think of very many English actors that I would place in that role right now, but I would be comfortable with him. <laughs> Although, honestly, when, when they were talking about Idris Elba taking over, I was okay with that, too. Because, I mean, friggin' that guy's a, an amazing actor, and he'd, he'd get the darkness of it. And the best Bonds, looking at you, Dalton have been the dark bonds. Uh, but yeah, he, he played, he played a pretty decent Sherlock. I actually really liked Enola Holmes. I, I haven't heard anybody complaining about it except for the Conan Doyle estate because they sued Netflix because the stories where Sherlock Holmes has emotions, uh, are the later ones that are still under their copyright. But I haven't heard any complaints other than that. I, I really enjoyed it. We actually, uh, got a hold on the, uh, the, the book, the first book in the series at the library because of that. And both my wife and my daughter want to read it. And who knows, I may, I may complete the trilogy and do it to myself, but yeah, it's uh yeah, no, it was, it was a good, it was a good caper. I really liked how they played it. I'm looking forward to it. I want to watch it. I, uh, I would love to watch it this weekend, but it's not going to happen. It's going to be at least two weeks till it happens. Cause I want to watch it with both my daughters. Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should look at a kick out of it. And this weekend we're going camping. Oh my. Well, it's it's one of the three nice weeks in Texas right now, so we better do it while the weather holds up. Like highs in the eighties, lows in the fifties. I mean, it's friggin' pleasant. Constant breeze. It's it's amazing. This weekend, the weatherman is currently saying we're going to have uh, a high in the high fifties and a low in the low forties, and it's going to rain. Man, that uh, your winter came early, yeah? Huh? No, this is just how it happens, man. Like summer leaves, summer just goes like it just takes off and it's it's over. It came back for a week uh, last week, actually. And then that was that summer's like, hey, here, here's one more, one more for me to you. And we're like, thank you, summer. And then summer's like, I'll see you next year. Sorry, buddies. (laughs) You lose, punk. What have you been watching? Let's sandwich my last two things between your stuff. Not a ton. So I haven't had a ton. Not a ton. There's six things here. All right. But hold on. 
I, I've watched one episode of Lovecraft Country, which continues to be amazing uh, and continues to be my currently favorite show on TV. It okay. is phenomenal. And it is so good, in fact, that I'm now pacing myself to only watch one a week, even though I want to blow through it, uh, because I I feel like having a little bit of in-between time makes this, the, the episodes more fun. Okay. Raised by Wolves, I'm doing the same thing. That is a very dark show. Like, wow, is that dark. Wow, is that dark. Since I had recently rewatched season one of True Detective, I decided to, um, because I'd never watched it before, watch season two of True Detective. So I am an episode into that. We made it through three episodes and stopped. Uh, I hear season three is really good. Yes. I heard that as well. But yeah, we made it through three season, uh, three episodes, and we just were like, "No, no, we're we're good." Did I talk about watching the thing with Carlos and his girlfriend? No, Carlos has a girlfriend. <sighs> yeah, I'm struggling with that, but wow. I mean, it's thirteen year old love. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I I know it's thirteen year old love. It's doomed, but it's beautiful. It's gonna burn bright. <laughs> yeah, like. And the pity of it is we really we really like the girl's family. So when when it eventually does go out, it's actually going to suck because <laughs> he's going to have to see her because we're not going to stop talking to these people. They're really nice. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Oh, I see how it is. You replaced me and Gina. I understand. No, we have not actually. Oddly enough, her name is Gina, the mother. So that is actually kind of creepy now that you, you brought that up. You did replace us. There's no Robert involved, though. There's no replacing you. I talk to you more than I talk to my own parents. You bastard. I legitimately talk to you more than I talk to my parents. That that is a legitimate statement. Ooh, I got the butterflies again. Thank you. (laughs) Going on. (laughs) So you watch the thing. So, yeah, I watched the thing with them. And uh, man, that movie is so good. That script is it's a perfect script. And it, it knows what other horror movies don't. It knows just when to show you horror and it knows just when to ratchet the tension. And it plays the different characters off of each other so elegantly and beautifully that even when you know what's coming, you still get caught up in the tension of not knowing who is the thing and who's not. It's a perfect script. You could reshoot that script today using modern effects and a modern set and the script would not need to be tweaked. Not even remotely. Please do not use modern effects. I, I saw the effects on that other ah, one. Ah, that was low budget. That's not fair. I never I never actually saw that movie, so I don't even know. I mean, it's it's got some redeeming stuff in it. There's there's some good stuff to it. It's not a complete loss. I'll fix that sooner or later. Um and then finally we watched the documentary The Social Dilemma about um the way social media manipulates users. And I knew everything that was in there. I've known that for a long time. I kind of use social media kind of eyes open, knowing that, yes, absolutely, bots are manipulating what I'm seeing. That's why I always try and independently verify anything that I'm reading on the Internet. But uh, it was quite the eye-opening tale for Jessica. So much so that she then swore off Facebook for the next few months uh, and deleted the app off of her phone. Good. Especially because she has an Android phone. (laughs) They are tracking the hell out of her on that. <sighs> but yeah yeah uh yeah no i've i've kind of given up facebook i have logged into facebook twice since the last episode and both those times was just oh sorry three times once to post that the new episode was up and then to check that thread to see if people were talking to us on it which they were 
Speaking of which, uh, movies, Jonathan Scrooge, it was not Wilford Brimley. It was John Hausman. I saw that, and that is absolutely correct. I went and and verified it uh, just to make sure, and yes, absolutely, uh, that was other Brendan actually pointed that out. You were absolutely correct. I was wrong. You were right. Uh, uh, You are incredibly handsome. I am not attractive. Does that about cover it? Do I need more? No. You are perfect. I suck. I mean, was that cool? cool. Was that man cool enough? No, that's that's fine. Okay. So we are now seven episodes into the boys' season two. The finale is next week, and I cannot wait. It's so good. That for me is after I finish Lovecraft and Raised by Wolves. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good show. It's a good show. I would suggest watching it weekly, like you are with Lovecraft Country. I think it makes that, it that's the plan. Better. That's the plan. I'm I'm really enjoying doing that with uh, with these shows. It it makes them when you have when your brain has a moment to simmer on everything, it, it works better. You you can see why these shows were designed to do that originally. Yeah, yeah. So yes, it has deviated wildly from the comics at this point, which is nice because I've read the comics and. Uh, you know, one thing about the boys' comics was you just didn't know what to expect next, and the show has lived up to that because they are veering wi- wildly off course, which is nice because they've been doing better by several of the characters because of that. Like, did you know that Homelander's not the real villain in the comic? Uh, I did, actually. You know, who's Which the is real not to villain? say that he's a peach because he's not. No. No, but it was Black Noir that did a lot of this stuff because he was secretly an evil clone. Which was like the most Bondian plot I've ever seen. It's like, we made this superhero that's like Superman and can destroy the world. What happens if he decides to destroy the world? I know. We'll create another Superman to be his check and balance. And what happens if the check and balance goes crazy? I don't know. But yeah, it was, it was a dumb plan. But yeah, I'm glad they're getting away from that. Black Noir deserves to be his own character. So, last but not least, Gina and I, because I think The Good Place is going away at the end of uh, October for Peacock. Uh, on Netflix, uh, we decided to finish up The Good Place. So we we stopped in season three. We we restarted season three because we kind of had forgotten what was going on. Is that the one where they're in Australia, right? Yes, yes. I enjoyed and, and, that. And, and Chidi makes his chili, which was amazing. You put the peeps in the chili pot, mix <laughs> it all up. You put the peeps in the chili and then add some M&M's. Yeah, put the peeps in, in or yeah, you put the peeps in the chili. It's hard to take him seriously gross. when he's sitting there looking all like ripped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're not actually doing that. That's not true. <laughs> Let me tell you, after watching Good Place, uh, I watched that movie Midsummer, and he shows up. And he's one of the characters in it, and I'm like, no, you're Chibi. You'll always be Chibi now. I'm sorry. He's a good actor. I like that guy. Man, I forgot I forgot how delightful that show is. We we just started season four. Delightful like, th- is the word for it, right? Like yeah. there's no other way to explain it. It's the funniest show that's a very serious look at ethical philosophy that you'll ever watch. It's Im- amazing to me that it ever got greenlit. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know. NBC does that. They've been making a lot of weird, critical darling, low-rated shows. That that is one of them. But yeah, I'd still highly recommend it. All right, Jonathan. That's my movies and TV. What hell? Reading is next. Ray would like you to know, quote, you guys should read or listen as I did uh, to the Reckoner books. They are really good. And when you do, you will learn that Steel Slayer refers to one of the characters in that first game 
and correspondingly the first book, not one of the new characters in the expansion. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. Okay. I, um, I've not yet read them. In fact, I know this is going to come as a shock to a lot of people. I have read very little Brandon Sanderson. I plan to. It's all on the list. I just need time. Well, what have you spent your time reading? Well, lately I've been finishing up. I'm on the latter, um, the, the last third of the third book in the Expanse series. I am reading uh, Abaddon's Gate right now, and that has taken up the... It's a pretty decent-sized book, so I should have that done hopefully in the next week or so. I have been bad and not really read much of anything except for uh, the comic book Die. Volume 2 finally came in from the library, and uh, I kind of... I kind of wish I'd gotten volume one at the same time because I sort of forgot what was going on in that book because the, the party gets split and I couldn't remember why. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's an interesting book. I, I like it. This this volume feels very – it wasn't as good as the first one because the first one kind of introduced the world and the story and that was really interesting. And then this one seems to be laying foundations for where the comic is going to go from here, mm-hmm. I think. So like not a lot, a lot happens, but not a lot happens. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Not that I didn't enjoy it. It's just not as strong as the first one. The first one, I don't know. I think, I think in hindsight when, you know, volume three and four exist and are out, it'll, it'll be better because, you know, a lot of the seeds it's planting now will fruit later. But yeah, still, still an interesting comic book. Still highly recommend it. it. It's, it's, if you don't remember, that's the one that if, uh, that D&D cartoon happened to you in real life, it would be terrible <laughs> and traumatic <laughs> and frightening and awful. And they play around with, uh, they play around with everything in there, you know, like one of the characters, uh, when he's in our world is a dude. And when he goes to D&D world, he, he was playing a lady character. So he becomes a lady and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like, you know, so they're playing around with gender stuff. They're playing around with, uh, you know, just a lot of things. It's, it's it's a weird book and I enjoy it. I would like to read that eventually. Yeah, I'd recommend. There's only two trades out for it now, so it's not like you really have to buy a lot if if you're forced to do that because you don't have an awesome library. I need my library to step up its game. That is what last week's interview taught me. Mm-hmm. So, Jonathan, I see on your list that you do not have anything down for RPGs, which is somewhat of a fib. Because we are brewing right now. But we I think haven't done like, anything yet. But we're going to, we're, we're, well, come on. We're all like fudging adults here. We need to like plan like eight weeks in advance. So we, we've got a date set to make characters for Star Trek. <laughs> I'm excited about this. Yes. So that is not this Friday, but the Friday after. Good. Yes. Because this Friday I'll be camping. There you go. You weren't you weren't there for this because you you you're terrible about checking your Discord. So the <laughs> It's not that I'm terrible about it. It's that the stupid thing doesn't give me very many um what do you call it? Uh notices? Notifications? Notifications is the word. That 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 sounds like the problem exists between phone and floor, because that's probably something you can fix. But so Jonathan, we played a Star Trek RPG way long time ago, back in the long, long ago. When we were trying to figure out what kind of ship we would have, no joke, we argued about it for three days at work because we all worked together. It, seem, were it seems it. in some respects that uh, history may be repeating itself because we've had extended ship discussion. Okay, this time, this time I, I could tell like it's been like 10 years and we're more mature and we're older because it only took the better part of six hours. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, since I haven't been on the Discord, what was what was selected? What was chosen? Uh, I, I showed you. I sent a picture of it. So, so we're going back and forth between all yes, sorts. This of is a, all this is a, an audio medium, so we have to share. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we went back and forth between all sorts of ships, and we were trying to decide: should we have like a new ship? Should we have an old ship? Should we have an awesome ship? Should we have a less than awesome ship? And we were trying to figure it out. And I kind of got tickled when the idea of having an old ship came up. But I didn't want to like have an old ship because, you know, because we're playing in sort of the the around the same time that Lower Decks happened. So it's 2380. It's a year after Nemesis occurred. And it's five years before the, the thing that happens at the beginning of Picard happens, I think. Okay. The, the, the Mars robot thing. So having an old ship would be like, you know, having like, uh, you know, just kind of one of the bad models. And somebody was like, we should have an ambassador class like the enterprise C. And I don't really like the ambassador class personally, because I know for a fact that they had to make that model really, really quickly. And I think it kind of looks junky. No offense to the model maker. You only had a week. I, it, for a week, it's a damn fine model. I just don't like it. But I've seen the original concept art for the enterprise C that some guy made where it's kind of in between the Excelsior class and the galaxy class. And I really liked it. And they kept some of those features for the Enterprise C studio model, but they couldn't make the uh, they couldn't make the like the, especially the engineering hall had a lot more lines like the Galaxy class, and I really like that. Um, but because they had to make the model so fast, they had to make it very round, and they couldn't make it like tapered because that would take too long. And I was like, well, wait a minute, why don't we have like the best of both worlds? Because like having an old ship like that has character kind of sounds fun, but then having a, a new cool looking ship is a new cool looking ship. And I'm like, why don't we just say that we have an ambassador class and it got a really, really major refit a la, you know, the, the original Enterprise when it became uh, in Star Trek, the motion picture, because they really they, like completely redid it practically. Amazing what happens when you have a budget. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know but but you know so it's in trek canon that you know they take old ships because the they, they say well, that I mean, these ships are that's, supposed that's, to last for like hundreds of years yeah well that's that's all ships like you know sailing ships are the same way they routinely go through retrofits yeah yeah they were talking uh like the floor plan of, of one of the character characters one of the carriers in world war ii up until it got retired and like they showed the beginning like the carrier at the beginning of world war ii then by the end like the runway had gotten extended and things were different and then by the the time it retired it had like the the catapults and they had reconfigured everything so it's not like it's outside the realm of military history that ships like that get instead of like building a new ship you just retrofit some of the other ships you have so yeah that's what we decided that uh we had an ambassador class that's a really really old boat um, but it had a really major refit because somebody needed something and they're like, Hey, we have all these ambassador classes sitting around. Why don't we just, you know, junk up one of them. And so, uh, that, that is our backstory. So we're going to have a, an ambassador class that looks cool is I guess the end of the story, um, but that was my idea. And then, and then we get to, instead of having an old ship that doesn't work right, we have an old ship that has a lot of new components and they don't always get along, which, you know build story for the chief engineer and stuff because they get to complain about that. Yep. So that was it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And then we're going to do that thing where we rotate GM duties. Uh, you know, so I, uh, my buddy's going to run first. I've got something brewing for, uh, an adventure, but I kind of have to suss it out. Um, but, uh, it involves Starbase 80, which if you watch lower decks, you'll, you'll, you'll know all about Starbase 80. I don't know who wants to do it. I, I don't think I'll be ready for the second adventure. I think this needs to be like a third or a fourth. This feels like a mid-season kind of adventure. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make up characters. We're going to rotate the jamming duties to kind of mimic the episodic nature of the show. And then, yeah, there you go. I'm down. I'm down. I'll do it. I'll do a guest GM. 
Uh, I just want to see because what system is this that we're using? I can't remember. It's the two D twenty. It's the two D twenty system. I forget what they call yeah, it. It's okay. the one that Modifius does. Yeah. Okay. 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 I wasn't sure if we were using the new one or not. So yeah. Right, that is cool. the new one. That is the new one. That's the current one. That's what I'm saying. I wasn't sure if we were using that one. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Well no, we're not using the old one. I have the old one. There's a reason we converted that to Savage Worlds pretty quick. <laughs> so yes, Star Trek RPG is in our future. And uh, I've still been fooling around with my homebrew setting because, I don't know, it passes the time. I'm having a lot of fun being creative because, uh, yeah, it's self-care. It's how I'm, uh, how I'm getting through these days right now, Jonathan. It's how I'm keeping my sanity. It's good times. But that's neither here nor there. I, uh, I recently learned how to play or learned world- Worldographer, and I redid my map, which I've been posting over on the Discord. So if you want to see a hex map that I've been making for whatever reason you would want to see a hex map, there you go. So, Jonathan... I think we're at video games, yeah? Uh, yeah. I have been playing Ghost of Tsushima almost exclusively. Well, tell you what, can I do me really quick so we can d- dive into your stuff? I've been playing Overwatch, Fall Guys, Animal Crossing, but nothing's terribly grabbing me right now. I haven't really sunk into anything lately. And I kind of want to. I kind of miss it, but I haven't, haven't just hasn't happened. So anyway. Well, I've been doing a which, tour through all the old PlayStation stuff that I've had lying around, you know, in uh, waiting to uh, get get played. So I, I I started out with the uh, Last of Us, Last of Us Two, and then I played through Spider Man, which is now complete, and so now I am playing through Ghost of Tsushima, and that's the game that's like Samurai's, yeah, and Legend it's of Zelda. like the exploration of Zelda in twelve hundred feudal Japan, and you play a samurai, and it has really fantastic sword combat. I am just enjoying it. It's a fantastic open world experience. It's absolutely stunning. This is the most screenshots I've ever taken of a game. I'm not one to stop and just take screenshots, but it's just so gorgeous all the time. But yeah, that's about it, man. Like, I haven't had a ton of video game time lately, so it's uh, it's pretty much... You played Among Us? That's on your Oh, yeah, and and Among Us. Uh, I got introduced to Among Us by Dale, actually. Yeah, my daughter's been playing the hell out of that game. Oh, my God, that game is brilliant. It's basically... A light version of the Battlestar Galactica board game. Yeah, yeah. You got to do tasks and they fill up most of your screen so you can't see it when the, the trader comes up and shanks you. Yeah, and there's a lot of shanking. That game is yeah. all about that shanking. It was so weird. So my daughter was playing and she was the, sh- the shanker, the, the betrayer or whatever they call it. And like she won, right? She actually she beat everybody. She managed to kill everybody. And uh it was so weird. Like she's sitting there. She's like, I won. I want him. And she's like, I'm shaking. Oh, <laughs> cause she was just so tense and like adrenaline flowing. And oh, then yeah. afterwards she's I, just like, Oh, I've had games of apex <laughs> like that where you come off at the end of it and you, you've won the game and you're just like, Whoa, okay. I'm, I, I, I need to bring down the heart rate here. <laughs> All right. So I've been doing one last thing. I, I started listening to a new podcast and uh, I don't know how I found as much time for it as I have. But um, I've been telling you about it. I, I desperately want someone to listen to this podcast so I could talk to anybody about it, but nobody will take me up on it. Uh, so I've been listening to Mission to Zix, um, which is fascinating. It's basically kind of like one of those actual play podcasts, but they're not actually playing any you know sci-fi game. It's just a bunch of uh, comedians, improv comedians, and they're just sort of improving their way through a sort of vaguely Star Wars-esque storyline. Um, but what I like about it is, uh, 
they don't have a lot scripted out beforehand, but anything they talk about becomes canon. And they've been doing a really good job of keeping things they say like relevant, like they don't change it later. Like they, they've been very slaves to their own like wacky continuity as it comes up. But yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And I, I just want to share this. So like uh, there's a farm boy character, right? And he recently learned he was a subject of a prophecy to bring uh, balance. It's not a force that's in the galaxy. It's the space that's in the galaxy, but you got to be careful, Jonathan, because there's two sides to the space. There's the fresh side and there's the wax side. And you don't you don't want to get involved with the wax side of the space. No, I can't imagine you'd ever want that. That does not yeah. sound good. Yeah, yeah. So, it's it's a really stupid show. It's 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 so dumb sometimes, but I I, I love it because the everybody involved obviously knows their sci-fi really really well. So it's it's good on that regard. I would yeah, highly recommend it. It's quite funny. I have I have laughed out loud more. Yeah. And they're only a half hour episode, so it's not hard to get. Well, it is kind of hard to get caught up because there's like four seasons now of about 20 episodes each. So, but yes, there's still a half hour. It's pretty easy to get through one. Oh, and you want to know what else? So I like this too. When they do their commercials for it, they do it in character as uh, uh, leaders of the uh, uh, rebellion who are also doing commercials for some reason. And so uh, like one of the, the guy who's the leader of the rebellion was doing commercials for me undies. And when they introduced that character, they mentioned that he was the leader of the rebellion and underwear salesman. So apparently all those commercials are in the canon too, which I appreciate. I thought that was <laughs> And there you go. That is it. I'm thin. I'm spent. Oh, and then we watched that other movie, but we'll talk about that next segment. Yes. Won't we? Yes. 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 Oh, I'm troubled. All right. Um, <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment, which, of course, means it's break time. And when we return from break, it will be time for our wisdom of crowds. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And, uh, yeah, we are in the plum of a busy time. Lots of news to discuss. So, first out of the gate, uh, it's a favorite in my house, and I think a favorite in any house with, uh, you know, kind of middle-aged children, for lack of a better term. King of Tokyo and King of New York are both getting a new monster. It's a pack that works with both games. Cthulhu is officially joining the roster of the King of Tokyo and New York games. So, Jonathan, let's go back to what you said. So, 
we're in the boomerang generation and all that. And I was just reading an article in uh, about Japan has this problem. But when you say middle-aged children, you mean children in the, the their mid-teens, not like the 30 and 40-year-olds who still live with their parents, right? No, yeah. I mean like children who are uh, seven or eight, you know, ha- halfway to independence. Pre-teens, pre-teens, you should say. Sure, pre-teens works. I'm down with pre-teens. There, there's already a phrase for that. Anyway, go, Cthulhu, yes. Which is weird because there's a totally not Cthulhu that's already in King of Tokyo. The Kraken? It's yes, the Kraken. totally not Cthulhu. Yes. That's the Kraken. Totally. Different, that's right. Different. Different. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, it comes with some cards for the King of New York uh, style of game. It comes with the um, uh, card that uh, lets you track life and points. And it also uh, comes with a couple of tokens for the New York game. And if you have the power-up expansion for King of Tokyo or King of New York... Cthulhu can evolve into a Cthulhu never seen before and completely different from all the other players' monsters. So that is available now on Aiello's website. Renegade Games, makers of fine, fine products such as Kids on Bikes and the Power Rangers miniature game, uh, have expanded and extended their relationship with Hasbro, and they announced some new products, not the least of which is a uh, Power Rangers deck-building game. hey Which which will be available to uh, demo virtually at Renegade Con in just a couple of days. So if you haven't signed up yet, too late. It already happened. But the exciting thing from my point of view is they confirmed that they are making a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers role-playing game powered by 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. And supposedly, all of the classes are the different ranger colors. <laughs> so... You'll have a blue ranger, black ranger, pink, green, whatever, gold, white. I don't even know what the ranger colors are anymore. But yes, that'll be coming soon. And the best thing is, quote, more details for G.I. Joe, Transformers, and My Little Pony games will be announced in the coming months. And they later confirmed those are going to be role-playing games too. So G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, and Transformers are going to get 5th edition conversions soon? See, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm interested in the G.I. Joe one because that is from my era, but it's it's funny because I am too old for Power Rangers. Power Rangers got um, got big after I cared about television. It got big right after I stopped. I, I'm, I'm aware of a lot of the early Power Rangers stuff because I had a friend who had a little brother and we watched a lot of it. But yeah, it was kind of right, right after that for me. But uh, yeah, still. By the way, did you hear what their plan for the movies is right now? No. So they're going to do a new, another Transformers movie. It's going to be reboot, right? Not part of the Michael Bayverse, which probably for the best. Yeah, and then they're gonna, that was, yeah, that's not a bad thing. Then they're going to do a G.I. Joe movie, which will be a reboot, not part of the previous two movies. Again, not a bad choice. And then they're going to do a G.I. Joe Transformers movie because they're in the same shared universe. I'm just going to wait and see. I'm going to wait and see. Positive podcast. Mm-hmm. Positive podcast. <laughs> You know, they made a comic book out of that. That, that. that has already existed in comic book format. It did okay. All right. We'll take a look. We'll take a look. It could be awesome. Okay. Things happen. Things happen. Uh, Board and Dice uh, has had a lot of success with the Escape Tales series of Escape Line, or pardon me, uh, of games. Uh, it's basically like Escape Room in a Box, kind of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they have uh, printed over 100,000 copies of their two previous games in the line, and they are back with a third one. Uh, which is appropriately themed for the month of October, which coincidentally is when it becomes available. Escape Tales, Children of Wormwoods. 
So is it riffing on Children of the Corn? Tell me it's riffing on Children of the Corn. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell. It's it's a dark and twisting story of a young man whose fate is beset by both the most mysterious of powers and the tyranny of evil men. God bless him, they quoted Jules. <laughs> it includes uh, over 60 different endings, more cards, more riddles, character progression, more of, you know, what kind of brought Escape Tales into the forefront to begin with. And you do not need to have played the previous games to partake upon this one. So if you're interested, it's available on their website and it is releasing this month. Well, somehow, Jonathan, the 2020 Origins Awards got announced over the weekend. And I don't know how that happens because they're voted on by people at the convention that got canceled. So I, I, I don't know how that works. But here are our, our winners. Best board game slash game of the year is Tiny Towns by AEG. Best card game, Point Salad by AEG. Best family game, The Quacks of Quildenberg by North Star Games. Digital adaptation, Tesoro VR by Calliope slash Thunderbox. Best collectible game, Marvel Hero Clicks, Adventures Black Panther, and the Illuminati Booster Brick. Best role-playing game, Teens in Space by Renegade Game Studios. Hey, look at those guys again. Best game accessory, Citadel Contrast Paint by Games Workshop. That Citadel Contrast Paint is sexy. Have you seen that? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Oh, it's pretty good. Best miniatures game, War Cry by Games Workshop. Best historical miniatures game, Bolt Action Campaign D-Day Operation Overlord by Osprey Games and Warlord Games. And best historical game, Pandemic Fall of Rome by Z-Man. They also inducted... Several people and things into the Gaming Hall of Fame, including Reinhold Wittig as a designer, Wolfgang Kramer, another designer. Yes! Yahtzee! Yeah. You had to scream it out. Board Game Geek as a notable product, and Wolfgang Wersch as a game designer, and he won the Rising Star Award. So there you go. Award-winning games that you can pick up for you and yours. So I've often talked about uh, one of my most favorite games growing up, HeroQuest. It's coming back, baby. Oh, is this the the one that's on uh, Hasbro's uh, Pulse? Hasbro Pulse. Pulse. Yes, absolutely. Have you have you checked out Hasbro Pulse in the past? By the way, I have. I have. Uh, I have not yet ordered anything from it. I think I'm going to on this one. <laughs> it's like Hasbro has its own Kickstarter page, and as soon as they basically get enough pre-orders that they can make money off of something, they'll do it. But yeah, they they made like Jabba's like a full scale. Yeah, Jabba's I know barge. that thing is dope. And yeah, I have. No business wanting it as badly as I do, but I do. And they made a Unicron for Transformers. Which where, is you know, he ridiculous. Actually, yeah, it's huge. And yeah, a whole bunch of fun stuff. So this is one of the things on, on, under that branding. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I was taking a look at this. I, It's basically the original game with some like revisions, right? It's not, and they're re-sculpting some stuff because they couldn't get the, the some of the stuff from Games Workshop. Well, okay, yeah. so it, it needs to be said. Like, the original game at this point is 30, 30 years old, and you can tell because I have my original copy of HeroQuest, and the the minis are very basic by today's standards. They At the time, they were probably, you know, what would have passed for Warhammer quality. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, 30 years down the pipe, things have changed a bit. Now, the board hasn't changed in IOTA. It looks like the old board. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's the original art. But yes, we get new sculpts uh, uh, for the minis, and the minis look fabulous. They look absolutely gorgeous. And they went out of their way to have a little bit more gender parity this time around, too, which is nice. Yeah, the barbarian's still the barbarian. He's being barbarian-ish. We have uh, the dwarf, uh, who's, you know, kind of standard dwarf. 
then we get the elf, uh, who in this one is uh, a, um, I don't know, what do you call a female elf? Like a lady elf? I don't know. If you want to be all like Urukai, you could call her she-elf. Yeah, there you go. And then there's a, a, a wizard. Oh, wait, no, 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 wait. Sorry, that wasn't Urukai. That was a ringwraith. I am sorry. I apologize. But the, the best part is the, the sculpts for the, the ogres and stuff. There are female ogres, male ogres, and they look in, just incredible. Oh, did you see they, if you, if you order it from the website, they are going to give you an extra set of gender-swapped miniatures. Which is a lady barbarian. Fantastic. And a dude elf and a lady wizard. So there you go. And on top of it, um, for an extra 50 bucks. So it's 100 bucks to get the game. For an extra 50 bucks, you can get the uh, version of it. with. It comes with two expansions, which is dope. I remember the HeroQuest expansions were actually kind of hard to get. <laughs> uh, they were extremely hard to get. I only ever managed to get one in my youth. Uh, apparently, um, using my Wayback Machine, it turns out that they only ever got one print run each. So we get Keller's Keep and Return of the Witch Lord. So in terms of gameplay, I don't think much has changed. But in terms of the new hotness, yeah, this is the new hotness. It looks beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Plus, you get a bunch of scenery, and the scenery is all 3D models now instead of um, held-together cardboard. Yeah, yeah. So It's good times. Yeah. It is good times. I'm about this. I'm all... I played the dickens out of this game when I was a kid before I got into D&D. Yeah, me too. Me too. This was always an amazing game. And to be able to play a new version of it... With, uh, you know, just enough new to keep my kids interested and the original gameplay, I think it's going to be great. I'm super stoked. So there's still 32 days left uh, to order from uh, Hasbro Pulse. All right. Well, my last story is WizKids has announced even more stuff to paint Jonathan. They have announced Marvel Deep Cuts, which are an unpainted line of miniatures and... While I like the concept of this, I don't know why they're trying to make these things a thing again, but the first wave will include Silver Surfer, Doctor Doom, Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, the Human Torch, and the Thing. Yes, Jonathan, they're trying to make the Fantastic Four a thing again, and I don't get it, because it's not like that's tying into anything. Like, why isn't it like, I don't know, Deadpool and Avengers? I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but that's the first one, so... Hopefully they will give me my Spider-Man eventually because that's the one I actually want. I love me. I love me the Peter Parker. So why don't you just get the Spider-Man from the Marvel game that Fantasy Flight released? Because I don't want to buy all the accessories for it for the game. I want to pay $4.99 retail and get me a plastic figure that I can paint because that's all I'm interested in. Fair enough. Fair enough. And that is also the other thing. These will be $4.99, which is a good price point. Uh, you were talking about Osprey games a little earlier. Well, they are have announced Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends. These are standalone civilization deck building games. But the cool thing is that they are um, combinable. Each version has eight asymmetric historical factions to choose from, uh, including such hits as the Carthaginians, the Celts, the Greeks, the Macedonians, the Persians, the Romans, the Scythians and the Vikings. Uh, in Legends, you get the Arthurians, the Atlanteans, the Egyptians, the Morion, the Minoans, the Almec, the Keen, and the Utopian civilizations. So you can pit them against each other. Um, it's basically like a, a civilization building game in a deck builder. So I'm kind of interested in this. Very interesting. Yeah, Osprey has been killing it lately. Yeah, they really have. So many people have been playing Gaslands that I know. It's amazing. If you want to see some good Gaslands car conversions, uh, go check out Mike Hall's Instagram. Holy God. 
Yeah, he's playing on a different level. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they got a bunch of Matchbox cars and stuff over at my local game store, and they, they had a big display of just, like, Hot Wheels and stuff with the, the core rulebook just sitting there. I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> it's an easy game to play, too, from what I understand. Like, this, it's really easy to learn the rules. And I, I love Twisted Metal back in the day. Oh, I, that's I, good stuff right there. Yeah, yeah. I want to play this game. I desperately want to play this game. Well, that brings us to the end of our news, which means it is now time for No Time to Bond. Welcome to part 19 of our 28-part series, No Time to Bond. We're, Although we're talking about stretching that to 29, but we'll see. We're still, we're still sussing that out. We're, we anyway, are sorry. watching the 007 movies and a couple of extras, and we're, we're, we're talking about an extra today, in the order of their release, which means we are going back in time to 1997. And we watched Jonathan Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, directed by Jay Roach. With a budget of $16.5 million, it made a modest $67.7 million. But uh, it did pretty well on the rental market, so they made a sequel. And uh, I wrote all these numbers down, and I don't want to say them out loud because two it's just going to be a bunch of numbers. Yeah, they made two sequels. But uh go look it up on wikipedia they came out against uh, the next couple of james bond movies that we're going to talk about and they made about as much money as the bond movies did at the time so it, they were they were pretty popular they're pretty popular i mean austin powers it, it's more than a movie at this point because it entered the cultural zeitgeist and the reason we're talking about this i think can best be described by future bond daniel craig when he talked about the Austin movie, uh, Austin powers movies in an interview and i will paraphrase here because he uses some colorful metaphors but I've been watching The Good Place, so I will make this clean for everybody. Uh, Daniel Craig, quote, We had to destroy the myth because Mike Myers forked us. I'm a huge Mike Myers fan, so don't get me wrong, but he kind of forked us, made it impossible to do the gags. End quote. You know what? May I be the first to say, especially having just watched Goldeneye, what, two weeks ago, this is exactly what that genre needed. It needed this kind of kick in the pants. And unbelievably, it would take, what, another eight years before it cashed in on it? <laughs> yeah, I, I was talking to Gina about it, like knowing what I know about the, the movies that are coming up in uh, Pierce Brosnan's career, especially Die Another Day. Oh, God, I, what a throwback that's going to be, huh? I'm really getting the sense that, you know, as Austin Powers came out and like kept poking at their formula, they kept kind of like just doubling down on it. It's like, no, you will not outbond us. We're going to outbond ourselves. <laughs> and I'm like, is that what happened? Is that why we backslid again? Because they were trying to like undo the damage that Austin Powers was doing by like just like trying to take it back or something like that because it, it wasn't working. <laughs> so um, this came out a couple of months before uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. So the next Bond movie is not going to have any chance to learn any lessons from it. But so, Jonathan, where shall we begin? I guess you and I were talking about this. This movie is basically a tale of two movies because much like the Warcraft movie. <laughs> um, it does feel like it's written and directed by two different people. Yes. One of them is a very, very clever parody of everything wrong with the Bond movies. And the other is fart jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's basically the Austin Powers thread which is just crass humor and fart jokes and cringiness. <laughs> and then there's the Dr. Evil stuff, which has, is still funny and holds up really, really well, uh, like 23 years later. The Austin Powers components of this movie have not aged well. No. Because it, 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 it was a joke to do all the, the sexual innuendo and whatnot, 
but it achieves like uh, levels of uncomfortableness that uh, were okay in the late 90s, but are not okay in the 20s. Me and, me and Gina were talking about it. And I, I think the main problem is it's not Austin. Austin is still the send up of all those spy movies. Like he, and, he doesn't he's, do anything. He's, he's like the Brady Bunch conundrum. He's out of his own time. And, and that's fine. Like, I, I don't even know what you would change in him. The problem is it's Elizabeth Hurley because the way that she handles Austin, she only tells him off once. And most of the time when he's being just horrifically casually and not so casually sexist and, and even like full on harassing her, like when the plane gets turbulence, um, she just sort of like laughs it off and says, Oh, you stop. You know, like it's, that's the only time she yells at him is when during the turbulence scene, you know, but other than that, she just sort of like laughs uncomfortably and it's kind of just like, Oh, you know, like, like he needed. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you would, you would write that half of the movie differently now. It's a product of its time. Like, like so much of what we see in these bond mil- movies, it, it is definitely a product of its time, which, you know, honestly that, that, that speaks to how clever chunks of it were, because they 23 years later still hold up. And, and by that, I'm talking about every scene with Dr. Evil. Yeah. Yeah. Every scene, because it's Evil. still funny. It's still hysterical. And, and the best part about it is, is that you can see where they spent their money in terms of, uh, the, the movie's budget, because they have these large outlandish sets, uh, with hundreds of extras in the background, making it seem like it's this huge super organization. And it's, it's just as asinine as when they do it in the bond movies. <laughs> So, Dr. Evil, uh, going way, way back. Hi, Ray, to the movie that Ray watched, unfortunately. Uh, you Only Live Twice. Dr. Evil is very much based off of uh, Blofeld from that movie. Like, you know, down to the funky scar and the cat <laughs> and yeah, But the then suit. he's got the Dr. No plastic uh, uh, yeah, suit yeah. on, radiation suit. Yep, yep, that happens near the end. Yeah, oh, there's a ton of, there's a ton of references to James Bond in this. Like, yeah, it's, it's you know, they knew what they were doing. Um, but apparently, uh, Dr. Evil's mannerisms, in- including his phrase, throw me a freaking bone here is, uh, based off of Lauren. Michaels yeah. Lauren from Michaels Saturday from, Live. uh, SNL. <laughs> apparently Lauren Michaels says, throw me a freaking bone here a lot. Yeah. It really was just this tale of two movies. Like I, the Austin stuff I found so cringy now, like it was funny in the day because the, I, the joke that they were trying to do is Austin is so hideous. How could he sexually harass somebody? And then, you know, we got that question answered with Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. And it's like, well, yes, a hideous person can still sexually harass you, even if they look like a troll, because, you know, it's, it's not about, it's not about looks. It's about power. And the power dynamic is the problem because it kind of got clear at the end of it. Uh, after everything's said and done, they make, uh, what's her name? Vanessa, right? Vanessa. Yeah. Vanessa, um, they make her a full agent, which means her, her promotion was riding on the success of this mission and her dealing with Austin Kensington, right? Vanessa Kensington, Vanessa Kensington. Yeah. uh, Ms. Kensington. And yeah, you know, like they, they just could, yeah, it's just weird when you think about it. It's like, yeah, she had to put up with Austin because she needed to get a promotion. And that means that there was a weird power dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. You know, just looking back on it, it's kind of not cool. And you know, like early in the movie when she yells at him about it, cause she's kind of putting up with it at the beginning. Cause you know, she's trying to say, Oh, he's a product of his time and whatnot. But then she yells at him and it's like, good. But then she stops doing it again and she just starts laughing uncomfortably. And it's like, Oh, you know, and that's the problem too. Like, a lot of the stuff with Austin, they they were reaching for stuff, but they didn't quite 
grab it because like they were doing the the Bondian names like Bond's boss is Basil Exposition and that's like his job you know (laughs) which is actually one of the few that's really genuinely funny (laughs) but then um, they meet uh, like the the villainous henchwoman later yeah a lot of vagina and while that's a fun gag they end up playing it into the ground it was it was funny if it was a throwaway line but it wasn't They, they they made it a main plot point yeah, but again, they also didn't really say much about it because, like, Xenia in, in GoldenEye, she was like, I mean, Xenia on the top. Like, that's almost as bad of a name. But she was, like, very memorable because she, her, she was just so weird. But, like, they didn't, they weren't trying, that's a problem. Like, they weren't trying to say anything. They were just pointing at stuff. And that's where the humor sort of broke down because a lot of the Dr. Evil gags in the first movie, they're trying to say something about how stupid Bondian world domination schemes are. You know, and and everything he does and how he's, you know, how a person like that isn't doesn't look threatening and is actually very silly. Like they they were saying something about that. But a lot of the stuff on the Austin end of it was just a lot of just like, hey, look, isn't this funny? And just point at it. And it's like, no, that's ah, it was irritating. And then, you know, uh, Will Ferrell doing uh, doing brown face. Oh, my God. He's so young in that. I know. Right. But but again, like we've we've commented, like if they were trying to say something about how Bond movies do that, if that was like the point somewhere, that would be a good point to make because the early Bond movies certainly did that See, a lot. That's, that's the problem. They they have the idea to make the joke and point out the the social inadequacy, but then they pull the punch. Yeah, they 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 never follow through on any of their punches, and that's where the that's where it kind of falls apart after a while because it it's it never quite reaches social commentary. It only ends up being just like a social nudge. I guess in the end it did, you know, screw stuff up. Spoiler alert for Spectre here. I, I know there was a lot of critiques of Spectre because the, the, the new version of Blofeld ended up being Bond's brother and they got compared to, you know, Austin <laughs> three. And I know Daniel Craig got really mad about that because people kept bringing it up and he's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, well, no, it does. Like you can't, you can't touch anything Austin powers touched anymore. You just can't because it's a joke now. And just trying to brush up against it, you can't. You can't do that. You well, can't. It, never let and it it's not just a joke because the problem is that the Austin Powers franchise was so big when it entered the cultural zeitgeist, it made those jokes untouchable. I guess in the end, yeah, it's 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 this weird thing. And I was telling you, like a good twenty five percent of the gags are really pointed, interesting sort of social satire about the Bond movies, and a good easily 25% are dumb, just dumb, dumb jokes. But there's this 50% in the middle that I can't tell if they're trying to say something or if they're just sort of brushing up against genius. And frankly, the humor of the next two movies, because I, my personal feeling about Austin powers two and three was they were funny at the time, but they were kind of lazy. I think they were, I think it was accidental, (laughs) but yeah, you know, it's just like looking back on it. It's, it's not, it's just not, it doesn't have the bite that it, it kind of needed, but I guess it did have enough that it, yeah, I don't know. I was, I was kind of disappointed watching it. I remembered it being very funny and, and going back on it, I was like, oh my God, uh, this is a lot cringier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> you know, I, I was hoping for like Larry David-esque, like, you know, curb your enthusiasm, kind of like, oh, like kind of uncomfortable laugh cringe, but no. <laughs> I think the <laughs> no, problem was just, that in the 90s, they were starting to identify what was wrong with the Bond movie, but that we had not progressed enough as a society to be able to to fully execute on that discussion. 
And I think that's ultimately what ends up happening with this film is it gets 60% of the way there, but it forgets the most important 40%. Yeah. And and it yeah, takes teasing to get that 40% out. Which made me think of the other spy parody that came out kind of in the same area. The first uh, Johnny English movie came out in 2003, and that is another parody of the spy movie. And it didn't quite hit the cultural zeitgeist that Austin Powers did. Not in the did. States. It didn't in, in Europe. I'm wondering if that might be worth watching. That's the one we're talking about adding in because, I mean, it'll become at a really unfortunate point because it'll become between Die Another Day and Casino Royale. And I know after dying another day, I really am going to want to watch Casino Royale, but I'm wondering if we should throw Johnny English in there to see what the, yeah, what was in the zeitgeist of the time. Of, I mean, what like, year was that? 2003. So, I mean, we're only talking about a difference of what, six years, but that's, I'm wondering if they're going to get it better because it, that six years is going to be a lot. I mean, we're, it came out right in between die another day and, uh, and Casino Royale. And the difference between those two movies is like night and day. Yeah. That's no joke. So yeah, I'm I'm just and I don't I do not want to watch the whole Johnny English trilogy because I watched the second one and it wasn't good. But I mean, the first Johnny English they they straight up got a one of my one of my favorite bands called Bond because their name was Bond. I mean, that was part of the joke. Like they knew that what they were doing. It's it's very pointed at that. So I don't know. We're still discussing if we're going to add it in. We still got a couple movies to think about it. Yeah, overall. Uh, like if you're doing some sort of thesis on the history of spying, I think you do need to watch the Austin Powers movies because it made you're, you're right. It made a lot of plot points in spy movies kind of untouchable and it forced them to do something else. And whenever they go back on it, it gets it immediately gets compared to Austin Powers and not in a good way. <laughs> I think it's important in that regard. But honestly, like after watching, I'm like, eh, this is not as good as I remember it. You might want to just skip it. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Honestly, like Austin Powers is problematic. And I remember having great love for this film when it first came out in the late 90s and watching it with modern eyes and now being the father of several daughters uh, makes it harder. I'm not going to kid you. It, it takes a lot of the thunder out of the jokes and makes a lot of them not funny. Yeah, I think it's definitely a product of its time. I think that we were part of the way to realizing the things that we've realized as a society. Uh, but because we weren't all the way there yet, it, it pulls a lot of its punches and it does not capitalize on a lot of its humor. But that being said, the Do- Dr. Evil segments are genuinely good satire. Oh, God, they're so good. Oh, that therapy scene with Carrie That's, Fisher is amazing. That was tough to watch just because when I saw Carrie Fisher, I, I got a little choked up because I miss my I miss my princess. But that's one of the first times a, a celebrity death really hit me hard. When I was insolent, I placed in a black bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty typical, really. <laughs> masks and uh, helmets of meat helmets yeah and follow we'd make meat helmets <laughs> pretty standard <laughs> that scene is ridiculous oh it's so good and later when he tells him i had them liquidated <laughs> <laughs> no he's very astute <laughs> i have been trying to kill him i am i uh, i am trying to kill him but the little scamp he he keeps getting away and then he gives him that wink and then he like looks he gets down. that from me that oh, was classic <laughs> now the dr evil stuff is so good it is so good yeah it's because blofeld is such a stupid villain when you stop and think that, about that it. that is the best part of, <laughs> of the write-up and and when seth green is yelling at him i have a gun in the other room let me just go get we shoot him together <laughs> It'll be fun. Because <laughs> like, like, like when we're watching GoldenEye, I'm like, where was Scott Evil with Trevlin? It's like, wait, you're going to put him in the helicopter and then try to blow it up with missiles? Why didn't you just shoot him? <laughs> you can still put his bodies in there. 
No one's going to know that they have bullets through them. Yeah. This coming out two years after GoldenEye just points out some of GoldenEye's biggest flaws. <laughs> Man, I, I've been thinking a lot about GoldenEye since we, we had our discussion. I got to tell you, it was so close to being something truly great in so many ways. But man, there was so much of the old Bond pushing on it that it just killed it. Yeah, no, I, I, I choose to look at it for its merits and not its flaws because I know the flaws are coming back. I rem- oh, my God. I can't. I can't. Eat. Die another day is going to be such a dumpster fire. <laughs> I remember coming out of the theater and thinking to myself, that was the worst Bond movie I've ever seen. And that was back when it first came out. So I am curious to see what happens. <laughs> oh. But that's not what we're watching next. Uh, next up, we're watching uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, which is Pierce's second movie, which I remember which, loving. Which not only do I remember enjoying it in the theaters, but if I'm remembering the plot correctly, and mind you, it has been a good solid eight to ten years since I've seen it. But like, if I am remembering the plot correctly, I, I feel like it was oddly prescient for today's society. So I'm very excited to watch this one. Yeah, so we will do that next time and we will have our decision on if we're going to watch John English because we got to buy time because they just announced that Die Another Day is not coming out until April the next no, year. Die Another Day came so, out many years ago. Not Die. No, Die. Oh, No Time to Die. Sorry. <laughs> no, no Time, time to, to die, die. Not coming out until April of next year. Oh. So, yeah, we got we got some time to kill. So our final episode of this, we'll probably have to have a several episode gap. But we'll get there. We'll get there eventually, I'm sure. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our No Time to Bond segment, which, of course, means that it's time for us to look at our own Wayback Machine, way back one year ago, which uh, was pre-Rona, the good old days. As we you you, you want to you hear some like nice synergy here, buddy? What's that? Forgot my dice episode 72, the wrong syllable. <laughs> the wrong <laughs> the wrong syllable? Yes. <laughs> you put the emphasis on, on the, the wrong, wrong syllable? Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Mike Myers, it was it was like we were... Oh, God, what a great little cameo that was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we played Horrified, Jonathan, which I, I remember you talked about fairly recently, so you've definitely been playing it. Actually, I have it on my list to talk about tonight, so yeah, I'm really... I love that game. That game is great. I cannot believe it's been a year since I played that game. Well, I mean, I've not played uh, since... I can't believe it's been a year since that game came out. Yeah, and we reviewed it, and it was fun. It was ah. good, good times. So you so, still recommend it? It's holding up after a year of play? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, it's one of the best gateway games ever made. Like, it, it's got the depth that you need as a game player, but it is still so easy to get people into it, and it's got the original movie monsters, and they're handled right, and it's handled with with reverence for the theme, and I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so good. So that's the, that's the one based off of Universal Monsters, right? Uh-huh. And it's got the official Universal Monsters uh, license, and the, it's got the cute little minis and everything. Also in that episode, uh, I... Oh, that was during the beginning of Dragon Quest Builders 2. Oh, man. Oh, man. Microscope. Good times. Monster. Oh, we talked about Monster Slaughter. That was the thing I think we played next. Shazam. I must, oh, man. Shazam. That was like the last movie I saw in the theaters, I think. Oh, and you had just watched Terminator Genesis with your boy. God, has it been a year since that? Yeah. Crazy, huh? That's insane, man. And I had just watched The Shining and Venom for the first time. Wow. Good times. Seeing movies in theaters and going outside. Oh, man. That Venom movie is so kooky and strange. (laughs) I still haven't figured out if I like it or not. And I've watched it like three times. I just can't figure it out. (laughs) 
I think I think if they manage to make a very good sequel out of it, it, it it'll probably it'll probably do it. Because like I remember, like I wasn't too sure if I liked X Men One and the original Spider Man with uh, the Tobe, but uh, Spider Man Two and X Men Two were amazing films. Like they capitalized on a lot of the groundwork they played. They 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 laid out. So if Venom Two is good, I I, I will call you, Venom you, One. You good. raise a very good point there. You raise a very, very a lot of first superhero movies are just a mess because they've got so much stuff to cover and they just don't have the time to do it any justice, which is another reason why I think Blade is one of the best superhero movies ever, because it covers all that ground, but it never loses focus on being a a fun little action flick. Yeah, I'd agree. Blade's a very good movie. Yeah. And it holds up, by the way, it holds up real well. Well, the thing is, like Blade was kind of like a very, very third, fourth string character at the time like they made that character relevant again with that movie but because of that there weren't a lot of expectations on on like plot you had to cover you know not like with spider-man or the x-men because i mean the x-men just has such a huge cast and you know everybody's got their like mutant that they love that's like such a, a fourth string mutant or whatever that they desperately want to be in those movies you know so they just had a lot of characters to cover just to get the the good ones in and then yeah, Spider-Man just, yeah, there's all these Spider-Man bits you want to see, you know, you want to see him in high school, you want to see him in college, you want to see him become Spider-Man, you want to blah, blah, blah. But like with Blade, like before that movie, like Blade was like nothing, you know, I mean, Blade was big in the 70s, but I mean, yeah, he's even what, at the 73, right? Yeah, yeah. So even at Tomb the time, of, Tomb of Dracula yeah, was his original uh, appearance, if I remember correctly, but he's been in Avenger. He's he did the Night Stalkers thing. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying like Blade wasn't part of like the comic book. He he was. I don't think he was. Oh no, a comic he was stuff. total fourth string. Yeah. In fact, when that movie came out, I remember people saying, "Who's Blade?" <laughs> but I think they had that benefit going for them. You know, like there weren't a lot of expectations. That's probably why the uh, the Marvel movies work so good. Come to think of it, because. You know, because they couldn't do the X-Men and Spider-Man who have a lot more baggage, like they had to use maybe not their fourth string characters, but like Tony and Captain America and all that, they were not their first string characters at the time. And so there weren't as many expectations going into those movies about stuff you wanted to see that was like classic parts of the canon, you know? They got to kind of work from a little bit more of a blank slate than some of the more popular characters. So I'm really excited about the casting of Mahershala Ali as as Blade. I think he, having watched his performances in house of cards, um, pieces of his performance from true detective and, and his performances in so many films. I think he has that, that depth of emotion to capture the intensity of blade, but also to capture the, um, more fun aspects of the character. And I, I'm curious to see how they're going to introduce him because if, if you remember, like in the comics, he was born in the twenties. And, you know, in the movie, he's he's definitely not born in the 20s. He's a child of the 60s. So that makes things a little interesting because now how do they play that? How are they going to play that? And also, how are they going to work him into the greater universe? Well, maybe we'll find out with uh, the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and all that. Because there's a big plot point in Infinity or in Endgame that people keep forgetting about. Uh, they say really bad stuff is going to happen if the Infinity Stones are ever destroyed. And what did Thanos do at the beginning of that movie? (laughs) So anyway, but we're way off topic, Jonathan. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our year in the life segment, which of course means it is time for another quick break. And when we return from that break, I think the most fun we're going to have with a deep dive uh, for quite a long time 
which is not to say that the games we talk about aren't fun, but like this is super fun. We're going to be discussing what should you run for your Halloween game night. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. Today we're going to be talking about what you should run for your Halloween-themed game night. And there is... I mean, there's a ton of stuff, and I think it's fair to say Blue and I are both interested in monster-related board games and RPGs. So today we're going to be breaking this Halloween game night up by a couple different categories. We're going to have a family game, a gamer game, a scary game, an intro game, and a couple of honorable mentions that we just feel that they've got a place to get out on the table, but maybe not every time. So to that end, Robert... How would you like to get it started? You want to talk about family game first? Yeah, just in the order of appearance. It's quite nice. All right, fantastic. Well, we just talked about it a little bit. My family game pick was Horrified. Which we did a whole review on last year in episode 72. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, here's, here's, here's the thing I love about uh, Horrified. It's the classic monsters. It's a great way to introduce them to kids. It is a very, very simple setup. It's a very simple execution. It's a relatively inexpensive game that you can get at a Target, but there is a hell of a game in there. And there's a hell of a game in there for a gamer, not just uh, bringing new folks in. You know, nothing particularly deep to worry about from a rules perspective, but there's a ton of strategy and there's a ton of cooperative strategy, which makes it perfect for families. So my family game pick for a Halloween game night would be Horrified. So I decided to focus on role-playing games because that's what I like. So I was thinking about, like, what can you play with your family? Like, if you're trying to get, you know, your first role-playing game and you don't want to do something too deep, you kind of want to tell a story. And I was thinking, you know, honestly, I've had good experiences with this, uh, using it kind of out of its normal context. But Dread, the role-playing game you play by pulling them Jenga tiles... Oh, man, Dread is yeah, so good. Yeah, and I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, like, wait, family game? Like, you're going to play this with your kids? And I'm like, yes, yes, you play it with your kids. Because, like, when you read Dread, when you read it on the tin, it is it is those R-rated horror movies that you, you know, you see. So I, I was reading an article about it, and it's, like, the the role-playing game you'll like if you like to play until dawn. Like, that's, that's the closest thing it emulates, and it's perfect for that. It's perfect for making an R-rated slasher movie. But um, there's a lot of kids, like, anthology horror series like there's a surprising amount of them and instead of just cribbing like you know those r-rated horror movies you you go out and you do one of those because there you have to have an episode you like of goosebumps or creeped out or are you afraid of the dark i mean there there are more shows than that like the crypt keeper tales and other stuff like that you know so yeah you just don't run something horrific and violent you just run something that's a little bit more tame and whatnot and you just crib off of one of those shows or even twilight zone episodes you don't it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be the R-rated version, but that's what I'd suggest you play. That's actually a really good role-playing game just in general for kids because, you know, instead of rolling dice and having to do math, like everybody knows how to pull off the Jenga tower and then just when the tower falls over, that's when you have something bad happen. And, you know, and they have to like, they have a challenge they have to overcome now because things get really, really bad when the Jenga tower falls. It's it's great. That's what you should play with your family. It's a great game. And it's a, it's a story game. It's just narrative. You just make up characters and go. It's awesome. Have you ever have you ever played Dread? Uh, yeah, I've played Dread. I really like yeah. it. 
using the using the Jenga tile or the the Jenga tower as a a gameplay element is nothing short of brilliant. I mean, it's it captures the concept of being harrowed and being tense. I love it. All right, Jonathan, moving on. Looking next at our list, let's take a look at the gamers game. So this is going to be a game with with depth, complexity, what you would play on a on a usual game night with your gamer friends. Certainly not something that you would introduce somebody into board gaming with. Or role-playing it. Or role-playing. Well, the, the gamer the gamer horror game that if you're a horror gamer, you kind of have to play it. It's sort of like required. Um, you you got to play the original Call of Cthulhu game. Like, there's there's no way around that. <laughs> have you played the original Call of Cthulhu game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. There are tons of classic scenarios. There are tons of scenarios in the book that are good for one night. There are tons that are good for a campaign, like the Masks of Nyarlathotep. That is the classic, but there are, there are metric tons. And by today's standards, the system is a little, just not what you would do these days. Cause it's all percentile based and you know, it is a little wishy-washy by today's standards. I also, I, I, I don't think you would do the insanity system the way that you do now, uh, or you, I don't think you'd write that the way it is now, but I mean, it, it's just the classic there's, there's just sort of no way to get around it. I mean, your mileage may vary on watching your character slowly go insane and die um, in a long-term game. But for like a, a Halloween themed experience, like there, you, yeah. Watching your character go insane and die uh, over the course of a night. That's kind of where it's at. And if you're, if you're into a more narrative version of it, there are, Cthulhu has been converted to friggin' everything. There's trail of Cthulhu for gumshoe. There was a savage worlds conversion. I remember uh, fate just put out uh, the, I forget what their Cthulhu game was called, but, yeah, they they put out one pretty recently too. It was kind of like Mad Max meets Cthulhu. You had me in Mad Max. There you go. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of flavors you can pick from if if systems are your thing, because it's it's just so so old in the classic. If you if you like third edition and old Pathfinder, they they made a D twenty version back in the day. It was lovely. It was one of the best chapters on the Cthulhu mythos I'd ever read until I read Trail of Cthulhu. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You, that, that is the gamer game. Like, that that's the classic. All right. Well, for me, my gamer game is my go-to for all things Halloween, and that is Fury of Dracula. I've talked about it on the show a ton. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about how brilliant it is, but it captures tension. It captures mythos. It captures mood. I love Fury of Dracula, and it just keeps getting better every time I play it. And... You and I played it together. Yes, we did. We did a review on it ages and ages ago. I can't believe it's been that long. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you tell me, what were your thoughts on Fury of Dracula? Okay, so at the time, I was really up, like, I was reading a lot of Dracula, because that was, like, right when I was running uh, the Dracula dossier. Uh, so there were a few elements from the books that I kind of wish they'd tried to emulate more, because, yeah, it's not like the book Dracula, but it's a hidden... Somebody plays Dracula and everybody else is trying to hunt them down and there's events and things you can do and, and setbacks you can get. And it, that end of it, it's really interesting trying to kind of like piece together where Dracula is because you never really know until you, you figure out all the clues and the game is tense. Like there, there's a timer on it. It's harrowing for both sides. That's what I love about it. And yeah, I really, I really dig that. I really did dug that the, the, uh, you know, you, you, you felt it. You felt that, you know, time was turning and you were, you were running out of time to sort of stop 
Dracula from doing whatever it is Dracula was doing. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It's, uh, I haven't, pl- I don't think I've ever played a game where it had a, a hidden movement compa- component where, you know, like one of the figures just isn't there. Like, you know, one person is just like, Oh, I'm totally, I'm totally right here. I swear. <laughs> well, what I like about it in that respect is that it keeps you honest because you're, you're posting your moves. It just takes a couple of moves for you to, to see them. I didn't play it enough. Like I wanted to play it a little bit more. It's just uh, that first time we played it, man, it was such like a headbanger. Like I, I, I remember being kind of mentally exhausted by the end of it. You play a good Dracula. I remember that much too. Play a good oh, Dracula. thank you. Blah. blah, 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 blah. I don't know what I'm trying to say about it. It was good. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was, it was really, it was really quite good. There's something I'm trying to grasp, but I can't. It quite says get me it. that we need to play it again on on Tabletop Simulator. That's a fantastic idea. Let we. I think we need an October game night. I th- I do think that we need that. So so mm. put the call out. Call d- 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 sound the horn. You put the call out. But that's your thing. You're the social media guy. Uh, I I don't use Facebook anymore. <laughs> But the call out, I mean, I think we can text everybody at this point. (laughs) I can put on Discord. There you go. Put the call out. I have faith in you. (laughs) All right, well, let's move on to a new category, this one being scary games. These are games that legitimately uh, form an emotional reaction that uh, cannot be denied. And I'll be taking the first one on this one, and that's a tie tie between arkham horror and mansions of madness there is no tie there mansions of madness second edition is amazing i mean the arkham horror card game the lcg oh okay not the not the the arkham horror uh board game yeah the arkham horror board game is just an exercise in pounding your head against a wall like pandemic yeah except harder (laughs) the, the arkham horror card game is phenomenal it tells amazing stories. It rides that fine line between success and completely getting annihilated at all times. And it legitimately makes me nervous. And it tells some spooky, scary stuff. And the Mansions of Madness uh, board game, especially since it has a companion app that has spooky music, just does that much more to set the mood and is just a really amazing, amazing experience. Both of those come together and are just phenomenal games as a dude who likes miniatures i, I think i have to say man, i like mansions of madness way better because i i like i like playing with dolls i'll just come right out and say it i like playing with dolls no i did not <laughs> see you playing with your dolls sir <laughs> good <laughs> man man mansions of madness is like perfect gaming for a halloween night especially one of the one of the more rp heavy scenarios because like the beauty of arkham horror is you need to like play it over time I really desperately wanted to play it over time with you, Jonathan. Like Mansions of Madness is a very complete experience. Uh, I have played that intro scenario way too many times, but the one we were playing where we were at that party trying to figure out like, who, oh, this it was like a whodunit. One? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Right. That, that one was good. And it was like a role playing game. Cause there wasn't, it, it was like a lot of roaming around the house and searching for clues. There wasn't a lot of like combat really. Not like that intro scenario where you're just beating the crap out of cultists everywhere and picking up weapons, picking up knives. <laughs> Where I think the brilliance of, of Mansions of Madness certainly is, is that it's not just a board game. They do a really good job of giving you an experience, which is not something I can say out of a lot of board games. Not that board games aren't fun, but the experience, getting the experience is really subject to the whims of your group, where the app really, really draws you into something else, which, and 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 it can set mood. You know, it's not something that, 
is beholden to the people around you. Like it, it has an influence on you. And I, I really like that aspect of it quite a bit. Agreed. Not saying Arkham Horror is bad because that's a brilliant living card game. I, I really desperately wanted to play it. I like the idea of it so much. Okay. Over to me. Originally I was going to say the scary game is Delta green. Cause I love me the Delta green. That's how we, that's how you and I first started podcasting together. Jonathan, it's got a special moment, piece of my heart. <laughs> oh, always. And, and the current Delta green RPG is disturbing. Like the adventures in it are, are kind of messed up, very messed up. I think just to get out of the sort of the Cthulhu verse, I think I'm going to have to go with um, some of the old classic white wolf stuff, especially um, to actually not even the classic white wolf. Cause the, the uh, future ones will uh, work too, but vampire, the masquerade vampire, the requiem. Um, yeah. When it, does the future stuff come out by the way? What future stuff? The werewolf one. Uh, the werewolf one is sometime next year. Werewolf fifth edition. Oh man. I feel like they announced it two years ago. It feels like, <laughs> but yeah, vampire, the masquerade is a classic for a reason. It's got baggage because it's very old and there's a lot of stuff sort of tied up in meta plot and whatnot. And uh, <laughs> if you paid attention to what we were talking about with the Swedish edgelords that used to own that game and run it, oh my God. But that has mostly worked itself out now and things have become much better. Vampire the Requiem, I kind of like more because they, a lot of vampire players kind of treated becoming like a vampire as your like superhero origin story. And because there was a bad group of vampires, it could lure you into the false sense of security that you are a quote, good vampire, you know, because you're not as bad as those bad vampires, which in a game that's supposed to be about you becoming a monster I don't think was a good choice, which is what I like about Requiem. There is no bad guy faction, so to speak. There are, there are, I mean, there, there's like mustache whirling Satanist vampires that, you know, traffic in demons and whatnot, but most of the other vampires are just other vampires around you. And it really gives you that sense of if you play it this way, cause you certainly don't have to. I really like the notion of forcing you to confront that, that piece of yourself that's becoming a monster like mechanically or whatnot and exploring that, can be a little weird. And, and I like that part of it. Um, the other really good game in this ilk, uh, for completely different reasons is their hunter line, especially the uh, new world of darkness, the Chronicles of darkness, hunter, the, not the reckoning hunter, the, I don't remember it's hunter, the somethinging because it's always hunter, the something or, you know, blah, the somethinging, but the new hunter game is much more in the vein of like supernatural, um, where you can either you can either be like Sam and Dean Winchester and be like nobodies who are out fighting monsters, or you could be like in a power group of some sort, like a police sheriff or whatever who knows about stuff, or you could be in like this vast conspiracy where you have a lot of resources and they have these cool things like you can get a a, a piece of vampire skin grafted onto your flesh. Um, because in vampire, the Requiem, when vampires see each other, they know each other instinctually are each other are vampires kind of like the, in the Highlander. <laughs> yeah. And so like, if you see another vampire, that little piece of vampire skin, which they usually put, uh, under your hairline, like right on the back of your neck, it'll start twitching because it gets angry because it sees another vampire. And yeah, they had cool stuff like that. Like, uh, like werewolves, uh, they said that when werewolves regenerate, sometimes they get these like kind of, they, you'd almost call them cancerous, but it's these nodules of weird tissue that um, werewolves get. And if you kill a werewolf and pull one of those things out, they could like graft it into you and they usually put it by your stomach. And then you'd like, if you got really injured, you just like jab yourself in the stomach really hard. And this piece of werewolf tissue would let 
fourth, it's like werewolf regeneration goo and it would heal you a little bit. And there's just cool, creepy stuff like that about, you know, again, it's, it's the monster hunting genre is about you becoming worse than the thing that you are hunting, you know? And I, I, I love monster hunting stuff like that and all of the levels of it really got into that. And it's, uh, yeah, if you play it that way, because that's certainly what Supernatural is about, about them becoming, you know, just awful, awful people. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've, if you've ever seen John Carpenter's Vampires or read the book, because the book was much better, but the, the books were very much about that, too. It's, it's about the monsters that you become hunting monsters. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Those are the two, two in particular I'd recommend if you want to go full creep. Or you could just be a werewolf and rip things heads off. Werewolf's quite a fine game. And I love Mage. And I love Changeling. All the Changelings. Both the Changelings. Didn't love Forsaken too much. The Frankensteins were kind of mopey and emo. But whatever. <laughs> Nobody likes an emo Frank. Yeah, yeah. Although for, for the Frankenstein game, uh, the Forsaken, they did a really good job because uh, even if you looked human, like people could tell that you weren't, you know, kind of like how they describe the actual Frankenstein, that he was... He, he should have been beautiful, but there was just something about him that was so fundamentally inhuman that it, he was repulsive. And none of the movies have ever gotten that right at all. <laughs> but I, I always love that description because, you know, it's not like he's uh, got bolts in his necks and stitches. They never describe the, the, mon- the creature like that in the books. It's, it's always that there is just something so inhuman about him that you just know. Yeah. And, and you can't tell what it is. And it's like, what, what does that even mean? And I love it. <laughs> I love that, that, that thought. Which is what the role-playing game's about. You, you are so inhuman that people hate you, which is kind of sad. Which is why they're mopey. Aww. Aww. All right, well, let's switch gears into intro games, and you're going to take us into this one. Uh, we are in a renaissance of starter products between Free RPG Day, um, Call of Cthulhu, Knights Black Agents, Trail of Cthulhu, Cthulhu Confidential, some of the, some of the White Wolf stuff. They've all had products for free RPG day. And in general, there's a lot of starter kits. I know call of Cthulhu has a starter box that you can get now. And there's, there's quite a few more, but we are, we are in this period where there are a lot of like learn how to play and it's just pick your poison, you know, like whatever sounds good to you. You can probably go get a cheap, if not free PDF to, to just play, you know, probably a one shot of something just to sort of test it out. That is the thing. You just go to, go to drive through RPG and, you know, find something you want. Um, of all the starter products I have read and I've read quite a few, one of the best ones I really liked was the Delta green one. Uh, it's called need to know. It's got a short little contained story that's really messed up. Uh, incidentally, they have churned that short little story. They're going to film it as a short movie. They had a Kickstarter for that. Not all that long ago. They're going to take the Delta green stuff out of it. But the, the basic story of that adventure is uh, is going to be a, a little horror movie, and it's it's going to be good. It's a messed up story, and they also made an audio book out of it, which I sent to Ray because you know Ray loves them audio books, <laughs> um, and it's and it's free if you if you own Audible. I'm like, here you go, buddy. And tell me how this is because I don't have Audible right now. But yeah, yeah, that one that one in particular is is pretty pretty disturbing. It's it's a it's a good it's a good adventure to play through. It gives you some weird stuff. So that's what I'd recommend. Any, any, any of the, the free or extremely cheap or the good starter sets. If, if anything floats your boat, just go try it. It's a, it's a great time. A lot of companies are really focused on the new player experience right now, which is nice. Well, I actually had a, a couple of things down here uh, because they kind of tied in my head. So the first was Campy Creatures, which is such a, a wonderful entry-level game that features monsters, but not in a scary way. 
It's something that you can play with uh, visiting family. It's something you can play with kids. And it's it's awesome. You're monsters. You're trying to steal teenagers. It doesn't get more simple than that. And the art for it is fantastic. Oh, my God. The art in the, uh, that game is just jaw-droppingly good. It's it's like concept art for like old 60s like Haunted Mansion rides and stuff. Like It's got that classic style. I love it. And then I also chose an RPG because it's self-contained. It's not designed to be played in a series. It's designed to be played as a one-off in one night. And that is the end of the world RPG system. It's very, very easy to get into it. Very easy to play. The rules aren't particularly crunchy. And you get to choose your flavor. Do you want to fight aliens? Do you want to fight the zombie apocalypse? Are you afraid of uh, self-contained mechanical machines coming to life? Or... Are you afraid of the gods coming back to Earth and uh, wreaking havoc? That system is getting really hard to get now. They've been out of print for a while, which is quite sad. I have the all four books, and I'm glad that I bought them because they have proven to be fantastic tools. Between all of them, I, I feel like zombies have kind of gotten played out and the Cthulhu gods have gotten a little played out. But the uh, the robot apocalypse and the alien invasion apocalypse, those are classics. They're never going to get old. No, no, I agree. <laughs> Plus, if you do the alien apocalypse, you can go have an excuse to watch Whitley Schreiber's communion. Oh, God. And then you get to see 150% walking. Because walkin'. <laughs> you know, Whitley, if the shoe fits. <laughs> <laughs> well, next up is honorable mentions. These are games that we just wanted to talk about and include, uh, but we haven't necessarily you know, included them in one of the previous categories. These are great games, great choices for you to play, uh, you know, in Halloween themed game night. Yeah. I didn't mention tales from the loop in my thing. Oh, I didn't have that on my list either. That's a good choice. Although I did have alien RPG, which is based on that. So I actually played tales from the loop and I got to say, I didn't like the system overly much. But I don't know if it was the systems problem or the adventure I was running, because the adventure I was running, having run the Dracula dossier and like harder mystery adventures, I felt it was a little too simplistic. But whatever, if if a simpler mystery sounds more up your alley, it's definitely a good choice. So, yeah, there was something kind of missing about that game. and I'm not sure what it was, but there's a reason the game kind of fizzled out. I kind of lost interest in it. But uh, the world is bloody fantastic. And what's nice about it is... Instead of like supernatural horror, it's much more in the vein of science horror because it's about, you know, the the MacGuffins that are causing all these. They're not like demons or hell hell portals or whatever. It's, you know, science gone amok. And, you know, I mean, Dark Mirror is popular for a reason. And, and you also get that you would think it's like about Scooby-Doo, but it's not. It's a, more about like the alienation of being a kid in that kind of classic 80, 80s movie sense where – you know, the adults in your life don't believe you when things are going on and you are kind of on your own, even though you really shouldn't be. It, it, it really channels that vibe really, really well that, you know, the only people who can save your town from science run amok is you because no one else is going to believe that anything is going on. And it, it emulates a lot of classic, you know, Goonies and those type of movies, The Explorers, E.T., you know, the, the, the stranger things kind of vibe, family friendly scare. Yeah. And you could, you could run it as hard or as soft as you want. The, the base game for tales from the loop is you, you can't die because you're a kid. If you run out of hit points, you, you, you just, you start crying and you go home. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sequel game, the things from the flood, you're teenagers and you definitely can die in that game. And, uh, yeah, they amp up the horror elements a little bit more. There's a little bit more squicky things from beyond in that book, but yeah, just the, 
the art is amazing in those books and the world building is strange, but captivating. I really, really like them both for that reason. Well, and, and the world building is a big part of the reason why I had the alien RPG in there because it captures that alien world so well, and you can make an alien game so friggin' creepy. Yeah. Well, and we're, we're living in a good time for that. They just released the, the devourer of worlds box set, I think it's called, which is a, a, what they call a cinematic adventure. So it's something, it's probably not a one shot, something you got to play over, like maybe, four four or five sessions tops but you you certainly can die in in cinematic scenarios because it's supposed to emulate a movie experience of you know just watching your party slowly dwindle away as you get taken away and face hugged and they they also did one that uh, there was one in the oh, the, the, the chariot of the gods that that was another cinematic adventure that they released that one's a little bit more prometheus focused not so much the xenomorphs but yeah it's good times the uh the the, the other one the the newer one that one's more colonial Marines and Xenomorph based. So yeah, you can kind of pick your poison when it comes to that. And then if you're running a longer game, I don't know how you, I, I really, I kind of want to run a longer game of it and not have Xenomorphs in it just because the world is kind of fascinating and sort of being like a space trucker trying to deal with all these factions and colonial powers and stuff. It, it sounds that there, there might be something there. I don't know. That's on my list of things I need to do. Do you have anything else on your list? I mean, for me, for a board game, for honorable mentions, I, uh, the easy mode one is Betrayal in the House on the Hill. It's the classic. God, you don't even think about that. Now I'm yeah. kind of kicking myself for not including that, but that's a great, that's a great choice. It's, it's an imperfect game, but it's, it is fun. I so desperately want to play the legacy version of that. I can't even tell you. I can't. <laughs> I, oh, I so want to do that. I understand. So want to do that. But it's the perfect time of year to kick off the legacy game. As for spoopy games, I don't know. I can't think of any others. I, I put good. a couple more. I put Terror Below, which we've talked about on the show. Yeah, the Totally Not Tremors game. Totally Not Tremors. I thought that that would be a great uh, light lighter pick for, for Halloween as an honorable mention. Uh, Monster Slaughter, because it's the classic. The monsters are attacking the cabin, and you're trying to eat as many teenagers as possible. And then finally, I also put um, Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu, because Pandemic plays so well, and Reign, the Reign of Cthulhu version is is quite a lot of fun. And then finally, the Genesis system, because it's just so flexible and you can make your own horror system up. So there you go. That brings us to the end. Run a Halloween night with your group, with your family, with anybody that you want and tell us how it goes and tell us what you ended up playing uh, and uh, hop on all the social media and tell us your uh, your favorite spooky games, because um, there are a metric ton of them. I'm just looking at my shelf here, like Dead of Winter I should have talked about and bunch of stuff that kind of just slipped my mind so fate of the elder gods shadows over normandy god there's so many so many and of course our our next uh, deep dive which we won't talk about too much but uh cthulhu death may die all right well that brings us to the end of this segment which of course brings us to the end of the episode episode 96 in the can as always join us on all of our digital domains we'd love to hear from you which leaves us with just one final segment and that is robert any final thoughts? I am so, so thoroughly disappointed in you and I, Jonathan. We have failed our sacred duty, I think. Oh, geez. Have you watched Bill and Ted 3 yet? I have not had a moment to, and I really want to, but I also want to watch it with I know. the kids, and we just haven't had a lot of family movie time lately. Same thing with me. So disappointed in us, Jonathan. You think if we really were truly fans, we would make the time. Now, luckily, in this COVID world, it's not like we are uh, <laughs> fighting a lot of uh, additional releases here. 
cool. I think it's been what the only movie released in the last six. Tenet months? got released too. Oh, poor Tenet. That's not fair. No, because that movie really does belong on a big screen. Yeah, I ain't seen it anytime soon. I think they finally started pulling it from theaters. It only made forty million bucks after like three, four weeks. It's sad. Yeah, I don't think the world was ready. To no, God no. When I get a chance, I'm going to watch it. I I hate to say it, but I think Dune Watch 2020 is uh, probably going to roll to Dune Watch 2021 at this point. Well, yeah, people got spooked by Tenet, man. I don't think. I wonder who's going to dip their toe and try to try to shake it up again. I wonder who's going to do that first. Well, I mean, the Bond movie's rolling back. I, I've seen rumors the Dune's rolling back. I Wonder Woman just, definitely got pushed back. Yeah, Wonder Woman's next year. Mm-hmm. It's weird, weird times. I mean, that's why Enola Holmes didn't get released from the theaters. It was supposed to be a theater release, but then they sold it to Netflix. I think that probably ended up working out. Yeah. Well, well, there's only one thing left to do, Robert. Be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 